Thanks for joining us now for KDC Arts, arts and entertainment, as well as the people and places providing it. I'm David Fleming. As of this week, KVCR-FM is in the on-air portion of our fall membership campaign, but more on that later in the program. But just know that you can give any time at kvcrnews.org support. And our toll-free number is always ready for donations. That's 877-512-8843. 877-512-8843 or kvcrnews.org support. And add to that, we have, among many other thank you gifts, tickets to Trans-Siberian Orchestra in Ontario, December 3rd. And that ties in directly with this edition of KVC Arts with the music of Trans-Siberian Orchestra in conversation with Al Petrelli, music director and one of the guitarists. Last year, it was Christmas Eve and other stories, and this year, it's the ghosts of Christmas Eve, and then to tag that, the best of TSO and more. So, with um, Christmas Eve and other stories, there's several stories there, but one includes the story of a lost girl or even a runaway, and the ghosts of Christmas Eve is, I think, entirely the story of a runaway girl. So, while this did become a made-for-TV film, and you have toured this to Southern California in the past, can we just start with the storyline, please? Sure. The Ghost of Christmas Eve, like you had just said, is a story about a young girl, a teenager, and she ran away from home. And in this story, we find her crawling through a boarded-up window in an old abandoned theater. And the interesting thing about it is when we filmed this, we filmed it in an old abandoned theater oh, cool. in New Jersey. You know, And it was kind of really cool and like real like you know turn of the century art deco but really kind of creepy at the same time you know wow and it caught the vibe of the film anyway so back to the story you know she crawls in there and she's scared she's tired she's cold you know she just wants to go home she doesn't know how she ended up in this spot and you kind of scoot over to her father's take on it he's pleading to the heavens for his daughter's safe return and of course in very paul neil fashion (laughs) it has a happy ending What I didn't realize when we were doing it is that everybody who was watching the movie related to the story. And then when we started performing it live, you know, I noticed a lot of people crying, a lot of people just hanging on every word that the singers were singing or the narrator was speaking. And it dawned on me, it's like, wow, man, everybody in this audience misses somebody. And they're inserting their situation and circumstance to Paul's work. And it resonated with everybody, myself included. You know, and I just noticed that everybody misses somebody, and it's so much more magnified or apparent around the holidays, you know, and I always say, everybody's got an empty chair at the dining room table, you know, and whether they left this world for the next world, whether you just haven't spoken to them because life kicked in, but everybody misses somebody, and that's what we all have in common, and it doesn't necessarily, like, ease our individual pain, but if you know that everybody's going through a similar situation, at least, you know, it helps cope with that, that you're not alone in this sentiment, you know what I mean? How are the various parts of this old theater accomplished on the tour? Is it projections? And (laughs) even that minimizes the effect, because if there are projections, I mean, we're talking top and stage left and stage right, and so it's Mm -hmm. very much an immersion. Listen, we got the best crew on God's earth, 
and what they've been able to do over the past decade or so with technology is absolutely amazing. I mean, it becomes so three-dimensional with the video content, the way that the lighting trusses almost dance like it's a ballet to the music, how there's video screens above us, you know, all around the arena. The truss movement becomes a dance unto itself. Even the pyro and the lasers are programmed to the music to accentuate certain things. You know, it's weird. It's like if you've ever sat through an opera, I can't understand a word they're saying in whatever language they're singing, but there's no mistake in the emotion and the passion that's going on through the performance. So Paul's lyrics, the music, the production, everything is there to enhance the story, and I think they do an incredible job of that. And I'd be hard-pressed to find somebody leaving that arena saying, oh, I didn't get it. <laughs> you know, you get it. I always tell people that you could get the same album year after year, mm -hmm. and they'd still get something new each time they see you live. And so, that said, this is said to be an updated presentation of the Ghost of Christmas Eve. So, I'd like to know if you could share any of it, the update, because I don't think it would be a spoiler. You could tell us everything about the show, but it still won't compare with us feeling it with all of our senses no, no, in no, Ontario. I, I it's like me describing a lightning strike. Yeah, you know? yeah. Not going to have the same impact, you know? Yeah, cool photo. Until you okay. experience it for yourself. <laughs> well, listen, as far as musically, I can tell you that we're doing a bunch of songs that we haven't performed before. You know, we always like to bring things out for the front of the show, and then we like to ease into the story of, again, The Ghost of Christmas Eve. And we're going to bring back everybody's favorite for the back half of the show and do a couple new things there as well. But hand on my heart, as far as what it's going to look like, I haven't got a clue. Okay. I won't know. They, you know, It's funny because I'm as excited as everybody else is to go see what the production looks like, and I won't know until I get to Omaha, Nebraska in a couple weeks when we start production rehearsals. Oh, that's you know, right. And that's when I turned into a 15-year-old kid all over again when I used to try to sneak into Madison Square Garden. You know, I walk into the... Well, this time I'm not getting chased out by security. But I walk into the arena, I see, you know, all the trucks parked outside, the buses, the crew. Like, I mean, 25, 30 semis full of road cases and stuff. I'm like, this is the best day ever. You know, so when they start putting it together is where I start going, oh my, that's, <laughs> I can't wait for this. to the filmed version of Ghosts of Christmas Eve for just a moment. I didn't know this before. I either just wasn't paying enough attention or whatever. But one of the featured performers was Jewel. I'm not sure what role I would have guessed her to be playing, but I do know that I was wrong. Uh, she played herself. Was she just yeah. one of the featured soloists? Yeah, exactly. It was Jewel and Michael Crawford also, who was mm. a huge, huge star on Broadway. 
These are all friends of Paul's, and we want to do something special. And so Jewel was so sweet. She's so beautiful, and she's so talented. She just came out and did a gorgeous rendition of a wonderful Christmas song. You know, I had the opportunity to play acoustic guitar with her, as well as Chris Caffrey, the other guitar player in the band. Mm. And Michael Crawford did a wonderful presentation, you know, with the children's choir. Again, not knowing where Paul was going with this at the time, there was something for everybody in that movie. You know, even you know Ozzie Davis, who was narrating it, yeah. you know. I didn't realize like how many different types of people this was going to reach. And like you said, every time you watch it, you notice something different. It's like when I watch a good film or any kind of art, you know, I've been watching The Godfather for 50 years. Yep. And every time I watch it, I see something I didn't catch the last time. Oh, yeah. Did you ever notice that anytime the color orange appears, somebody's about to get it? Somebody's about to get it. Yeah. On most of the tunes on here, they're traditional Christmas tunes, either reimagined or extended with original material or made into a medley, even a, say, a two-song medley like Good King Joy, though yeah. with Good King Joy, we leave the medley portion for a bit and go into something which could easily come from a southern black gospel choir. Exactly. Uh, yeah, this is where it's a bit exactly. less like a sabotage. This feels like, I don't know when you were first presented with it, I guess it was a few albums in, I can just picture you going along with it, looking at it on the sheet music, since you are one of the readers, but looking up at Paul to ask just what did you do here? There had been times like that when Paul presents his next story to you and the other musicians. Yeah, you know, it was really interesting because if we go back to my beginnings, you know, seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan in 64, all right, so that started it for me. And then growing up on Long Island, going through the public school system, being handed you know, a trumpet and learning to read music and playing pieces by the great composers. And you know, obviously growing up in the late 60s, early 70s with R&B and show tunes being played on radio, yeah. and then the advent of FM radio and so on and so forth. I didn't realize that I was getting like a real broad stroke education in all different styles of music. You know, I like to tell people when I was a kid, there were only two kinds of music, good and bad. Yeah. You know, there wasn't this genre-specific things where everything's a subset now, you know? And Paul grew up in the same neighborhood, you know? So he would go to the garden and see, you know, Genesis and Pink Floyd or The Who, or he'd go down to the theater district and watch, you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber's presentations or the classical presentations at Carnegie Hall, you know? When it came to TSO, there wasn't one style of music to be done because each song had to represent the character presenting part of the story. So like you said, you know, there's some Southern Baptist go to church music, there's some straight up R&B, there's good old fashioned rock and roll. I mean, there's a song off the Lost Christmas Eve called Christmas Nights in Blue, which is like a Leon Russell or Dr. John kind of piece, you wow. know? So anything went, that's what I love so much about it. So all my studying, all my preparation as a student of this art, I was like, this is awesome because I'm not playing any one type of thing at any given time, you know, and it dug into all my abilities as a guitar player. I just always wanted to be a guitar player. I didn't want to be any particular kind of guitar player. I just love the way my instrument sounds. That's one of the nice things, Al, about as I go through this, and of course, every time we speak, I try to have it weighed out a little bit more heavily on TSO, but then I try to fill in some of the the missing years. And so that's something that I've really, really grown to appreciate, whether it's Morning Wood or mm -hmm. some of the funk and fusion that I've been really delving into, but we'll touch that a little bit later. 
next to our first tree Ornaments reflected light Of a candle in the night And I gave you a music box Back then it seemed like so much We watched it go round and round As the melodies they unwound But all these things are now long gone And not to be wished upon But the music box continues to turn The candle in the window continues to burn But I know they're just memories Christmas past, girl, you Some of the songs, as I mentioned, on the Ghost of Christmas Eve, again, Christmas tunes, embellished or original, but then there are two songs, they're very much a part of the storyline, Music Box Blues and This Christmas Day. Uh, Music Box Blues, this is one of the parents sort of speaking to the girl, even though she's far, far away. Absolutely, you know, and that was featuring a gentleman named Daryl Pettiford. And I remember when Paul heard Daryl sing, it stopped time. You know, and that song came to life. There was originally an acoustic version of that mm. music box that was sung by a young lady named Katrina Chester on the second record, if I'm not mistaken. And then Daryl, somehow Paul met Daryl and just like he goes, I got to bring this singer into the fold because he's amazing. I've got the lights upon the Christmas tree. I've got the candle lit for you to see. And inside this window, I will wait For inside this night, I know it's not too You're listening to KVC Arts on 91.9 KVCR, streaming at kvcrnews.org. I'm David Fleming. Many past shows can be found through iTunes, Spotify, NPR One, and Google Podcasts. And most past shows are at kvcrnews.org arts. Trans-Siberian Orchestra will be at the Toyota Arena December 3rd with tickets available at kvcrnews.org support as a thank you gift at a couple of different giving levels during our fall membership campaign. You can call 877-512-8843 or kvcrnews.org support. This edition of KVC Arts has me in conversation with Al Petrelli, music director for and one of the guitarists with Trans-Siberian Orchestra. There is an ornament lost inside the night There on a Christmas tree with a thousand lights No one can see her, she stands Somewhere she glistens, but no one 
another song that you had just mentioned about the father pleading to the heavens is a song off the first album called Ornament, which is just a heart-wrenching moment where a father's pleading to the heavens for the safe return of his baby girl. He does not know where he is. You know, and on a personal note, when it comes to that song, I recorded that song back in, God, 1996, and my older children were babies at the time. And then when we play it later on, on tour, you know, two of my older boys are in the U.S. Armed Forces. Yes. So that hits me real hard because, you know, they're on opposite sides of the planet doing God knows what, and I just want them to come home safe for the holidays. So, you know, not only is the audience that's reacting to these songs, but, you know, I'm living these as well. That's something that we've touched on before, and that is really why it's something like Music Box Blues. I have to say, it's all I can do to keep from choking up when I'm asking you about that one. And as you mentioned before, we all have somebody that's missing from that dinner table So you probably have a couple of sons in the military and one who's a bass player. Jamie, he was actually with TSO. Was he just for the album Dreams of Fireflies, any touring? Uh, What was his involvement there with TSO at least? Well, he played on that record, and it was funny because, you know, Paul invited him to come down and play on the record. He was young at the time. I'm going to say probably like 17 or 18. Uh And I had done the original, like, kind of demo bass part. And, you know, when Jamie came down, he's like, you just have me down here because you want me down here. You're not going to use my part. <laughs> and our engineer, Dave Whitman, who's been with us from the jump, turned around and said, this kid's great. You stink. <laughs> and I said, yeah. So, you know, Jamie played on the track and he got his first gold record and he went off to college and he started his life and hasn't enjoyed this live yet, but he's doing amazingly well. He's an MD, bass player, piano player with so many national artists on major labels. And he got involved in film scoring and TV jingle writing. Uh, he just got married. He's living in Brooklyn. Oh, excuse me, now he's in Queens. And listen, he's a musician. He followed his passion. He followed his dream, and he's living the life right now. I couldn't be prouder. Well, back to the Ghost of Christmas Eve. On one of the, as I put it earlier, one of the embellished tunes, the Christmas Canon, this is based on or supplemented by Pachelbel's Canon. So yes. there's also a full children's choir on the recording And so on the tour then, we'll be seeing or feeling this year, is part of this a backing track for the live performances? Or or you you can't be traveling with 50 kids. Oh my God, no, shoot me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, 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 no. That was one of the funny stories, like going back to the day, because even on, oh my gosh, the first album Mm -hmm. on Christmas Eve and Other Stories, Prince of Peace was sung by a woman named Marlena. She was one of the stars on Cats. And it was a lovely, you know, beautiful, almost operatic rendition of it. And she wasn't available for the tour because she was, you know, a big star on Broadway. So we adapted the song with Daryl Pettiford singing to change it just to accommodate the tour because there's no way. And there was another one, Promises to Keep, which was mm. done by a children's choir. And I looked at Paul, I was like, you're not putting 12 kids on a bus. not going to happen. You know, <laughs> no. So... You know, we kind of like learned to adapt the songs to a live rock concert situation. So same with the Christmas Canon. It's sung by all our singers. All eight of them join as a choir to present that song. And as you know, you know, Chloe Lowry's downstage center, flanked by the other gals who sing amazing as well. But no, no children, thank you. (laughs) Okay, good, good.
We've alluded to the fact that it was Sabotage, which was the springboard for TSO, but you actually had known Paul O'Neill for several years before you joined Sabotage. Yeah, I met Paul probably around 1984-85. Okay. I was just cutting my teeth. I was probably like 23 years old at the time. I cut my teeth in New York City. And, you know, there were only so many places you can go and hang out and, you know, sit in and jam, and I'd run across Paul time and time again. It was just one of those relationships that was developed. He said, you know, hey, man, we got to work together one day. Okay. You know, I looked at him and I smiled, you know, because everybody says that, but not many people come through on their word. Well, Paul always did come through on his word. And uh, he called me 10 years later to kind of come in and kick the tires on a couple ideas that he was working on with the guys in Sabotage. And the rest, as they say, is history. I'm not sure how I phrased it before, but were you already playing with hard rock takes on classical masterpieces, or did this start with Sabotage and then TSO? I guess this is a more generalized way of asking, was it Richie Blackmore or was it Paul O'Neill? I'm going to say Paul O'Neill. All respect and praise to Blackmore, all the people that, you listen, we can go back to ELP and Yes and Genesis and Crimson and all those other bands who were so influenced by the great composers. I mean, you know, you look at Queen. Yeah. Uh, Paul just had a very different approach to it, and you know, other people have tried it, but Paul reached the masses in such a grand way, it was amazing to see. And I guess you would have been, of course, aware of Sabotage before joining, well, just because they were such a strong band, and you're knowing Paul. I mean, of course, we couldn't anticipate the death of one of the founding members, but were you ever actively thinking, oh my God, yes, this is something that I would like to do? Of course, as we mentioned, you're all over the place as far as different stylistic approaches to playing. Well, I was always a big Sabotage fan. I mean, first of all, the Mountain King is like my brother. Yeah. I love John to death. I've known him for many, many years. And the rest of the soul, but his brother was an incredible guitar player. I mean, Chris was just crushing. And they just had it together. So I wasn't really ever given too much thought about being involved in that band. Because, you know, it was the brothers in the band. You know, they mm, had it going sure, on. Okay. Paul was producing them and they were writing incredible music. I was still, you know, a gun for hire at that point. You know, I kind of almost gave up on being in a band. It just never mm. really worked out for me for whatever the reason. So, you know, I just wanted to be a guitar player and was fortunate enough to be kind of, you know, had the door open for me by, as you know, Steve I, who yeah. kind of dropped my name in a lot of circles back in the late 80s. And then it just kind of spiraled. You know, a lot of people would hire me. And it wasn't any particular style of music. Like we had said before, and you just mentioned it, and I appreciate it, that I got a pretty, pretty diverse musical background. So, again, I didn't want to be a quote-unquote metal guitar player. or I just wanted to be a guitar player. Yeah. You know, same guitar. I mean, I still <laughs> my us all, you know, playing with Megadeth or Celine Dion, you know. Same martial wow. head. I'm just going to approach the notes differently because there's a side to music that a lot of folks, especially younger players, aren't familiar with. And it's what I call appropriate genre-specific parts or musical maturity. I could sit at the piano with you and make you think that I'm a piano player because if I played the correct sequence of the pentatonic scale at the right time, I sound legit. I'll never be Chuck Lavelle. <laughs> you know, there was a quote I read the other day by Carol King. All right? You know, one of the great American songwriters of all time. I mean, the Tapestry album is just a how-to book on, like, just writing classic songs, right? And she had a quote, and she turned around, and she said, when she writes a song, she wants to always include something familiar in the song so the listener feels safe and at a moment of rest. Mm. 
So I took that theory, and if I'd sit behind the piano, if I play something that you're familiar with, you're okay with it. And so the same with playing the guitar. If I'm playing like an acoustic piece and I go into some like, you know, Phrygian harmonic minor weird thing, <laughs> I'm being a guitar player. I'm not writing a song inside the songs, which is something that Chuck Lavelle had said in his documentary, The Tree Man. And I'd rather be okay with being overlooked as long as the part works in the song. Like if you listen to like the early Eagle stuff or the Carol King stuff or James Taylor, and you know, the rhythm section, not that many people know it's Lee Scar, Russ Conkle, and Danny Kochmeyer. But if you listen to those songs, they're masterpieces in simplicity. Wow. Make sense? Yeah, that's an incredible perspective on that. But it's a different perspective. Like, I get a little, like, you know, snarky, if you will, with, <laughs> with some of the younger kids, you know, who come into the band. And inside of, like, a very, very intimate, vulnerable ballad, they're, like, shredding. And I'm like, you're missing mm. the point, dude. Yeah. You know, Jeff Beck plays the right note at the right time. And it's not simple. You know, he thought of it. It's like I always tease people. The most famous musical motif in the history of music, in my opinion, is Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, right? Oh, there we go. You know, ba 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 I can play it in my sleep. My daughter at six years old can play it. But nobody else can write it. Mm, wow. Again, wonderful statement there. Wow. But it's tried and true because I just rediscovered the song Europa by Santana. Oh, wow. Right? And I haven't listened to it in probably 45 years, for whatever the reason, I don't know. Mm. And I just, for some reason, put it on the other day, and I'm like, this is the most beautiful execution and minimalistic approach to guitar, and I wouldn't change a note that that man played. Like, you could hear the Miles Davis influence on him, mm. you know, and I listened to it with 60-year-old ears as opposed to 18-year-old ears. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, wow, I really, really get this guy. It's absolutely perfect. Oh, incredible. Nice. Yeah. Music's a funny thing, dude. Trans-Siberian Orchestra's Al Petrelli, one of the founding members, guitarist, and musical director. Again, a conversation I look forward to every year. And this year, once again, Trans-Siberian Orchestra is touring live. This time around, it's the Ghosts of Christmas Eve with afternoon and evening performances December 3rd at the Toyota Arena in Ontario. Music, for the most part, from Trans-Siberian Orchestra, though we also heard just a bit from Sabotage, specifically the Dead Winter Dead CD. Thank you, Devin Perkins. A reminder also that as of this week, KVCR-FM is officially in the on-air portion of our fall membership campaign, and we have tickets to Trans-Siberian Orchestra as thank you gifts at a couple of giving levels. More at kvcrnews.org slash support or by phone at 877-512-8843, 877-512-8843, or kvcrnews.org slash support. Briefly put, listener support has always made up a significant portion of our operating budget at the very least, and so this is when we ask you to help support the programs and type of programming that you hear only in the world of public radio specifically here at KVCR. 
We'll have more with Al Petrelli on the next KVC Arts. And as we wrap up this edition, thanks again to Al Petrelli and to Alan Rommelfanger with Daybreak Entertainment for setting this up year after year. Here at KVCR, thanks to Lillian Vasquez, Rick Dula, Paulina Garcia, and Sharina Wad. Many past shows can be found through iTunes, Spotify, NPR One, and Google Podcasts. And most past shows are at kvcrnews.org slash arts. Where you learn something new every day here with 91.9 KVCR San Bernardino Riverside. Streaming at kvcrnews.org. We're a service of the San Bernardino Community College District.